want to tackle your frame of mind this morning. I want to talk to you about your frame of mind. I want to talk to you about something that is intrinsic in your walk with God. It's something that if you don't have it, you won't get the most out of it. You know what I mean? You'll, you'll end up, your growth will be stunted, you'll be malformed. And what I want to talk to you about today is the fertile soil of identity, and that is belonging, connection, family. Because when heaven comes to earth, it looks a lot like family. Can you say amen? It looks a lot like family. The language of the New Testament speaks of family. And we're going, to, we're going to take an odd route to get there this morning. We're going to start and finish in the book of Isaiah. People, someone said to me the other day, do you preach all your sermons from Isaiah? I said, yes. <laughs> yes, I, yep, yep, it's a fair cop. I do, I do. Because the prophetic pictures that he paints give so many layers to what Jesus actually did on the cross. And we're going to end up with, we're there this morning, we're going to end up on the cross. We're going to start somewhere else, but we're going to end up on the cross. And so let's, let's look at a passage from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61, the first six verses, it's, it's comprehensive. It talks about the restoration that Jesus brings as the Messiah. And then it rolls into the identity that is ours, and then it goes on to talk about our mission. Our, our, our role, what we do. So can I ask you to just stay available to the possibilities of God working in your life this morning? I just want to commit this passage to prayer. Let's pray together. Father God, we just ask you to reveal yourself to us in a deeper way. Lord, to take us into a, a new dimension of relationship with you. Spirit of God, would you guide us into all truth? Would you Keep us available to the possibilities of, of what you have for us. In Jesus' name. And we all say, Amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 61, and I love the message version. It says this, verse 1. The Spirit of God, this is a passage you know well. The Spirit of God, the Master, is on me because God anointed me. He sent me to preach good news to the poor and heal the heartbroken. This is the Messiah's work. Announce freedom to all captives, pardon all prisoners. God sent me to announce the year of his grace, a celebration of God's destruction of our enemies, and to comfort all who mourn. Then he moves into identity, to care for the needs of all who mourn in Zion, to give them bouquets of roses instead of ashes, messages of joy instead of news of doom, a praising heart instead of a languid spirit. Rename them Oaks of Righteousness planted by God to display his glory. They'll rebuild the old ruins, raise a new city out of the wreckage. They'll start over on the ruined cities, take the rubble left behind and make it new. You'll hire outsiders to herd your flocks and foreigners to work your fields, but you'll have the title priests of God, back to identity, honored as ministers of God. You'll feast on the bounty of nations. You'll bask in their glory. Now, most Christians, most churches, we love the first part. Yes, yes, Jesus came and I'm saved and I get to go to heaven. I'm a partaker in that salvation. That would be probably about the smallest interpretation of that passage available to us this morning. Everyone, but it's a start and everyone sees some truth 
in the last part. Yes, we'll, 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 Christians will go ahead and restore cities to God. Everyone sees some truth in that, but they say, yes, some type of super Christian will do it. Some type of super apostle will do that. Someone who was born under a star or some other cosmic phenomenon. like this <laughs> but but not not little old me i'm not that's that's for the super christian but i'll cheer them on and i'll hold their coat no no that is all of us all of us and all of that happens because they miss the middle part and that is the bit about who we are because of jesus what is our identity? We are the product of his finished work. They don't see themselves in the hope of who they truly are. They don't see themselves as restored and functioning and, and having that pipeline from heaven to them, God speaking to them and them taking that and, and translating it into some sort of action to people around them. They miss that identity. But it says, but you'll have the title priests of God, honoured as ministers of our God. We are, folks, the royal priesthood. That is who we're called to be. Not, not somebody who looks at themselves and says, well, I, I can't do it. It's not in me. I, we are the royal priesthood, stewarding God's purposes in the earth, in our neighborhoods, in, in our workplaces, and in our schools, carrying that purpose, transcending death, and then going on to continue to be the royal priesthood in the new heavens and the new earth that the Bible speaks about. Now, here's what we need to know. Here's what we need to understand about identity. Identity grows in the fertile soil of connection. And connection is so important. It's so important. We have to nail connection, folks. We have to have a place to belong. When, when we belong to something... It frees us up to be who God called us to be, to be the very best version of ourselves. The church is family, and there's a lot of family language in the Bible, but we have to see ourselves and change our language to know that we are the church. You hear people say, the church should do this, or the church should do that, but we are the church. We we are the church like you hear people's language change they come in and they say the church should and then they say now you should and then they say we should and then they say i'm doing and that's the progression but there's a verse in hebrews 6 that uh that just that covers this it says now if we can only keep a firm grip on this bold confidence we're the house we are the house. We're it. We're the church. We're the vessel that God has placed in this city to see cities restored, to see the city restored, to see it put back together. Like that passage in Isaiah, that's us. We're it. Thanks, Lynn. Lynn's on board. <laughs> Lynn's always on board. A couple of you more. A couple more of you get on board. Okay, so here is, here is us. This is it. This is it. This is where we come to belong. Church isn't something where we appear once a week and try to give the impression of piousness and having it all together 
and that we are respectable and acceptable. It's, it's somewhere where we get together, where we do life together, where we get into the grotty, grubby areas of life and we spur each other on. We knock off edges of each other and we, we make ourselves the best possible version that we, of ourselves that we can be. And that happens in community, in connection, in belonging, in family, yeah? See, I might think, might be, you know, I'm going to say, it's just Jesus and me. We're, we're going it alone. We've, we've got this nailed out. I'm, Jesus is teaching me humility and patience. But how do I know that I've got those things unless I'm around people? I'd be really patient if it wasn't for people. Yeah. <laughs> we have to see that we're all in this together. Church is family, and it's family opposed to a business. How you perceive something determines how you interact and engage with it. And if I see the church improperly, my engagement with it will be confusing and frustrating. Now, here's what I mean. A church is a family, not a business. It's a house, not a restaurant. When I go to a restaurant, I expect people to cook for me. I expect people to clean up after me. I expect customer service. If I treat my house that way, it becomes problematic. If I come home in the afternoon and I say to Nerida, what, why are my socks still on the floor here where I left them? <laughs> there will be a noise coming from her that will be a short, sharp raspberry. <laughs> and maybe even a gesture. <laughs> it's a house where you find family and it's in family that you find identity. It's where your identity is formed and where it's reinforced. In a stable environment of belonging, all the pieces come together. I heard a, a, a church leader from America make a, make a statement that really impacted me just a couple of weeks ago. He, he's a, a senior minister in a, in a church of 16,000 in a city of 89,000. So they're doing pretty well. They're doing pretty well. And he said, people come to our church for all sorts of reasons, for the music, for miracles, for, for all number of reasons, but they stay for family. That's why people stay in church, because of connection, because they're, 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 they're connected to other people. Just have a sip. I don't know if you saw it on Facebook, but somebody was encouraging us to name our top 20 movies. And I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do this. I'll, I'll go through the process. And, uh, and I came up with my top 20, and they, they generally fitted into, into categories. They were movies about baseball, movies about submarines, <laughs> movies with Kevin Costner, it's a bit of an overlap, and movies with Brad Pitt. And, and that made up probably about three quarters of them. And the rest, the remainder, was rounded out with cheesy musicals. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Cheesy musicals. It's, you know, yeah, where everybody's sitting around and all of a sudden they burst into song. And, and, yeah, and dancers appear from nowhere and there's a full orchestra behind the bushes. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and then there's nothing better than an all-singing, all-dancing showstopper, isn't there? You know, that's, that's what I mean. A cheesy musical. I'm a sucker for a cheesy musical. 
And, and my wife knows that when Greece comes on the TV, I will be sitting there and she might as well go to another room because it's going to go, it's, we're going to see the whole lot. I'm going to see right to the end where John and Olivia dance into the, the future, okay? And I mean, but at the end of the day, there are worse things I could do. That's pretty good. I'm, I'm amazed that that many of you got it. I thought Barry would get it, but I didn't think there were that many. So, but you don't get many cheesy musicals these days. That is until just before last Christmas, Hollywood dished up La La Land. Now, massive spoiler alert. If you haven't seen it, you're going to hear about the ending. So... Put your hands over your ears and go, la, la, land, la, la, land. (laughs) Plot summary is as follows. A budding actress gets together with an aspiring jazz musician. They have have dreams. Her dream is to be a a Hollywood actress, an actress in big films. His dream is to own his own jazz club. And, And when they get together, there's just this sort of chemistry and, and they feed each other's identities. They, what they do supports each other's dreams. And, it's, and it's, all, it's almost magical in the way that it happens. But then they make different choices and they don't stay together. And in the end, they both get the dream, but they don't get each other and they're not satisfied. Everybody go, oh. And the movie shows an alternative ending of how if they just stayed together, they could have got the dream and could have got each other if they'd only made different choices. And it showed you that they get their dreams and how happy they were because they were were together. And it was almost like Hollywood was rebuking itself and society and saying, hey, isn't it great? Your dreams work out so much better when you're in connection. See, we're called to more than a calling. We're called to love and to be loved, but we'll only find true satisfaction if we live out our lives in connection with other people. Relationship trumps achievement. Family trumps function. Write that on the toilet. Well, that's tweetable, I think, Pastor Tim. Being in right alignment with your faith community is is paramount when you're contending for identity in your life. You need other people around you. But the language you find in the New Testament about this, particularly this area of Christian life, leads me to believe that it's incredibly important to God. St. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he's he's a community guy, right? He's a a family sort of a guy. It, it, It appears in his writing. Romans 12, 5, it says this, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Individually members of one another. How much does that convey? It's It's almost impossible to imagine, but how much does that convey the closeness, the deep connection of family in church? How much does it convey that? I I did a bit of research outside of the Bible. I, I looked at some, some, uh, some researches on this particular subject. 
And I, and I came across the research of Brené Brown. Some of you may have heard of her. She's, uh, she, she's a US social scientist. She has a PhD in social work, sometimes appears on Oprah, I believe, or Oprah. Sorry, 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 yeah. Yeah, two very different things, yeah, yeah. La Traviata and, uh, and Oprah. My, my, my apologies, folks, Oprah. I wouldn't know because I've never watched it, but yeah, I, I believe that she appears on Oprah. And she's a, she's a prominent researcher, and she set aside one year to study human connection. And she ended up studying it for six years. And at the end of that time, her conclusion was that human beings are neurologically wired for connection. That is the one thing that is common to every human on the planet, that we are neurologically wired for connection, at which point she grabbed her family and took them all back to church after 20 years of being not in church. So her conclusions, her study of human, the human need for connection led her back to a faith family. And that's, that's amazing. Her counterpart is the Australian researcher Hugh Mackay. And oddly enough, he came to exactly the same conclusion. You can listen to a podcast on iTunes about Hugh Mackay and how he talks about connection in Australia and how it is the vital link in, in, in people growing to be who they, they, they should be. Let me read another verse from St. Paul. Romans 12:8, and you're not going to see the version that I'm going to read from. Romans 12:8 says, "He who exhorts in in exhortation, you know that sort of thing. It's a cold type of type of um, translation." But I'm going to read to you from the Mirror translation. This is a, a translation by a man called Francois de Toy, who from Cape Town has done this incredible translation of the Bible that makes the verses come alive. It says, "Or just to be there." alongside to remind them of their true identity. And I went in and I explored that verse and, and what the original language means, it's, it's this, to make a call from close beside of evidence that will stand up in God's court. To say the things about each other, to, for me to say about Peter McInnes, what God thinks about him evidence that will stand up in God's court. That's from close beside him. That's what that means. That is, that is an incredible verse about deep connection. We need people in our lives who will feed our identity from close beside. Who is that person in your life? Can you see a face? Can you see a group of faces? Can you see a life group? We are Firm believers at Centro Church in life groups. That, that life should be played out in community, should be played out in the presence of other people. Circles are better than rows. That the person across from you benefits by you being there and you benefit by them being there as you do life together. It's the mutual building up of each other in our faith. In my group, in my group, we every week every second week we get together and we we, we talk about the, the the fortnight we've had then we worship a bit and then we pray over each other and we declare things over one another and we feed each other's identity and we feed the purpose of God in each other 
And it's, it's just such a great thing. And you watch others grow in their identity and confidence comes. Confidence comes. When they grow in identity, confidence comes. And life groups are the easiest and best and most efficient way to find connection, to find belonging. See, when people from around the edges don't connect in, they're easy prey. They're easy to get, they're easy to, to fall into to wrong thinking about the church, to wrong thinking about people. It's, it's just so easy to be picked off when you're not connected. Psalm 92, another verse about connection, talks about those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. See, when you're planted, you, when you're planted with people, it, it gives you a lifelong ability to walk in what God has for you. They shall be fresh and flourishing in their old age. How many people over 60 feel fresh and flourishing this morning? Good. There's a lot of hands. Great. Excellent. Good for you. Awesome. But, but the whole idea of, of that, that verse, being planted, I believe relates to a place. Where is the place that you're planted in? It's actually important that as we learn how to belong, it's important that we know how to become loyal to a place. See, we're shaping a city, but that city is also shaping us. Your location powers your destiny, and your destiny redefines that location. Let me give you an example. In the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, Jacob goes to sleep in a place called Luz, L-U-Z. It means almonds. Almonds. To the vegetable growing region, nut, legume, whatever it is, growing region. So, yeah, he goes to sleep in a place called Luz. He falls asleep with his head on a rock and he has a dream and he sees angels ascending and descending into heaven. And he wakes up and he says, God is here and I didn't know it. And then he says, from now on, this place will be known as Bethel the house of God. And from then on, the place is never known as Luz again. Jacob's encounter with God redefines the place. Redefines the place. That is why we worship. When we come together, it's so important that we worship, that we encounter God in this place, because then God has the capacity through our encounter to redefine the city. In the same way that Jacob redefined that place from Luz to Bethel, we can redefine our town merely by coming together, by having personal encounters, but by having a corporate encounter as a church. Can you see that? We can redefine the place. King David went to Bethel. Jesus went to Bethel. The encounter that Jacob had changed the destiny of that place and it was no longer recognized by its natural, national, natural demographic and that was to grow almonds. It was now recognized as a place where people encountered God, its ability to have an open heaven. And from that day on, people went there to find God. They went there and they had encounters with God. So belonging is good, yeah? We've established that. Belonging is good. So why do people choose not to belong, or why do they think that they can't belong? Why, when you mention love, do people think of 
heartbreak. When you mention connection, do they think of disconnection? And when you mention belonging, people think of excruciating times of being excluded. Why is it? It's because of the way that we let ourselves make agreement with something called shame. Shame is the swampland of the soul. Shame is the gremlin that says, you can't do it. Shame carries two big sticks. Never good enough. And if you can argue your way through that, who do you think you are? That's why identity is so important. And identity grows in the fertile soil of belonging. The thing to understand about shame is it's not guilt. Shame is a focus on self. Guilt is a focus on behavior. Guilt says, I did something bad. Shame says, I am something bad. That if people only knew about me, they would never want to connect with me. They would never allow me to connect with them. And in that statement, we make ourselves unworthy of belonging and connection. Shame is highly connected with addiction, depression, violence, aggression, eating disorders, and suicide. So it's important that we counteract shame, that we come at shame with some, some violent action. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. In order for connection to happen, but we have to overcome that and we have to be seen. People who have a strong sense of love and belonging believe one thing, that they are worthy of being loved and belonging. They have a strong sense of that, that worthiness is there, that their identity is maybe not fully formed, but at least well and truly entrenched in them. Belonging requires vulnerability. It requires the V word. All the guys are going, whoa, wait a minute, can't be vulnerable. But if we want to have true and deep connection, vulnerability is a prerequisite. It's, the Bible throws verses at us like this. If a man wants friends, he must show himself friendly. What's that about? It's about vulnerability. It's about taking a step with no guarantees. If a man wants friends, he must show himself friendly. It says other things like confess your faults one to another. What's that? It's vulnerability. You know, you're, you're taking a step. You're telling someone, confiding someone, oh, this happened. And there's a likelihood that they might go, oh, hey, you know what happened? And, and, and deal badly with that. But vulnerability is required nonetheless. It's the willingness to say, I love you first. The willingness to do something when there's no guarantee. The willingness to invest in a relationship that may or may not work out. But at the end of the day, it's the best way to live wholeheartedly and push self into a situation of connection. So my encouragement to you this morning is to lean in to the discomfort of connection. Lean into the discomfort of connection. Connection is what gives meaning and what gives purpose to our lives. It's the fertile soil in which our identity grows. We're going to roll into another passage from Isaiah now, and we're going we're to spend a bit of time in this, but we're going to close in it as well. 
And um, I'd like the musicians, if they could, to, to just join me on the, on the platform. I'm going to read a, a, a passage about the suffering Messiah. Isaiah 53, it's the dirty page in my Bible. I suspect it'll be the dirty page in a lot of Bibles. And it, and it, it, talks, about, it talks about what was gained, what was won for us at Calvary. It's extensive. It's, there's layers. It paints pictures. It's, it's easy to grasp something and say, yes, that's for me. That particular thing is for me. And that's why I want you to stay available to this this morning. All of us are, are in a process of, of forming identity. And all of us can benefit from a full understanding of this passage. Isaiah 53, it says, verse 1, Who has believed our report and to who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up, talking about Jesus, before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. That means no physical attraction. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. People thought that he was getting the punishment for his own life. But then the, the tone changes. Verse 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was wounded for our transgressions. That if we're stuck in that cycle of sin, and he was wounded for that. He suffered so that we didn't have to do it. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. All the punishment so that we could live in peace was put on Jesus. He carried that. He took that for us. He made a way that that is available for us to live in peace, not anxiety, not troubled, not depressed. He made a way for that to happen. And by his stripes we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all he was a man of sorrow so we could be a people of joy he was broken so that we could be made whole he was poor so that we could be made rich and by his stripes we're healed on the cross Jesus entered into our psychological calamity whatever was wrong he placed himself in that and as that took it and died when you feel abandoned by the God who doesn't abandon anyone, remember that he took upon himself your sense of rejection, your insecurity, your alienation, your separation, your disease, your corruption, your decay, your hard-hearted stubbornness and your rebellion. And he swallows it up and absorbs it to himself and puts it in his broken body and takes it to the cross. And on the other side of the grave, he spits us out as a brand spanking new creation. That is what he did. All of those things are dealt with. All of those things are carried. He carried them to the cross. They were nailed there and they stayed there. They're gone. We don't make agreement with those things. 
We don't make agreement with shame. This union that we live in with Jesus gives us power to overcome all of those things. And the theme here is substitution. All of all of those depression, anxiety, mental illness in, in any form is, is there on him. It's there on him. He took it. He bore it. Surely he bore our sorrows. Our grief is upon him. Do we understand that? Can we get a picture of that? The gospel invalidates all of our attempts at self-improvement, of trying hard and, 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 and gritting our teeth and internally hemorrhaging and, and trying to be better people when it's all done for us. We just have to step into it and live in it. But we have to do it in the presence of other people, yeah? We have to do it in a state of belonging, in a state of connectionness, in family. We're the house. We're all we've got. That's it. To walk in identity releases a manifestation of wholeness. Something I prayed over my kids every day is that, that Jesus would be their emotional defense, their emotional defense. They would never be tampered with by the enemy in the area of their emotions. That's so important. Dads, mums, do that. See, God manages for us things that we were never intended to manage. This morning, I want us to pray. I want us to pray for each other. If you are a candidate for Isaiah 53 then just stay available. Let's stand together. If you carry grief, if you've suffered from rejection or carry a fear of it, if you suffer from insecurity, if you have a particular fear that limits your life, if you suffer from anxiety, if you suffer from depression, if you've ever been suicidal, if you feel like your life has been limited by other people's lies, if you if your life is controlled by sickness, if you're controlled by anger, if you feel unforgiveness towards somebody or carry some hate in your heart, if you feel like you're not worthy of connection, I'm going to ask you to be vulnerable this morning. I want you to raise your hand. I want you to raise your hand. When people, let's get alongside of these folks. Gather around and begin to pray. Come on, gather around. We're doing the praying. We're the house. We're the house. Okay? Find someone with their hand up. Get alongside them. I want you to call out the glory in them. Tell them to break all agreement. We break all agreement with shame. We break all agreement with shame. We break all agreement with shame. Spirit of God, just be present. Be Be leading into identity here. Be leading into identity. We break all agreement. Break all agreement.